Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. Welcome back for episode 85 of Freight 360. And as many people in the country know, this week we are for some reason, getting some snow across the Midwest, the Northeast, all the way up into Maine. I'm here in Buffalo, New York. And Ben, I know you're not seeing it down in Florida, but uh, this should be temporary. And um, yeah, hopefully I'll put this behind us. So I'm looking out my window right now and we've got a few inches of snow on the ground. But uh, another great episode here. We're going to talk about motivation and willpower today. It's something that a lot of sales folks have to overcome and deal with and learn how to maximize throughout their career. So Ben, how are you doing this morning? Doing well. I'm enjoying some beautiful sunny weather down here in south, sunny South Florida. So yeah. made me feel a little better when you texted me that picture of the snow in the backyard. <laughs> gratitude on my end. Yes, man. Not fair. I feel like I, I feel like it's a Bills game weather right now. But uh hey I'll be I'm gonna be down in, in Florida in just a few weeks and I think we're gonna get the opportunity to do a uh a, an episode, both broadcasting from Florida. So that'll be good. And coming up later today, obviously, by the time folks hear this, this will have already happened. Um, you're doing a uh, coaching session with TIA on this exact topic. So we are, yeah, doing, and great. you and I are going to be doing these throughout the year. Um, quarterly through the TIA, we have, I, I guess we would call it like a partnership agreement that, you know, well, you were involved in with me as well. So yeah. we're going to be doing some topics with them um, as well as vice versa. They're going to be doing some stuff with us. So really good group of people. Um, really enjoyed chatting with Jonathan Baker over there and Ranky, the you know new president over at the TIA. Got a lot of great stuff. And I know their conference is coming up, I think, in what, like the next 10 days? I know the yeah. in front of me, but. I think I thought it was in May. No, yeah, it might be early May. So, um, yep. So you got motivation, willpower with them. So if you're a TIA member, you can, uh, you can sign up for any of these to, to be in them live, or you can actually, I believe afterward, you can go in and just be able to purchase the, the recorded version of it. So I'm going to be hosting one on, um, technology and tools for freight brokers later this year in June. That's going to be an exciting one. For all the uh, the tech nerds and junkies out there, we actually have one of we have a good question from one of our listeners that we'll get to later in the episode. But good stuff, a lot of, a lot of fun things happening here. We're we're just wrapping up a lot of exciting things here that we'll be launching in the next hopefully month. You know, everything takes a little bit longer than you first expect and plan for, but a lot of good things on the horizon here. I'll be getting so. into that today, actually, the planning fallacy and why human beings have difficulty determining how long it's going to take to complete actual work projects and whatnot. There you go. So whether, you know, whether you're a new broker, a seasoned broker, um, these are, these are going to be great things to think about. And, you know, Remember not to beat yourself up when things don't go exactly as planned. So anyway, welcome back, back to, to this. 360. Yeah. And then real quick, I, I just looked up these dates. The TIA conference is in exactly 20 days. It's May 11th through the 13th. Um, $200 for members, $350 for non-members. They put a ton of work into this. You and I both know. I mean, we work a lot with these folks over there. They are really putting their best foot forward. They're really excited for this conference. I mean, if you guys are out there looking for some new resources or some new connections, new networking, um, it's going to be a great event May 11th through the 13th. And it's hybrid this year, right? So yeah, they a little have like bit a, of both. Yeah. Because normally it's in person for a few days. And then last year, I'm pretty sure it was all virtual. And uh, yeah, I, I have never personally been to one. The company I was with in the past, we would send folks down there, mostly on the technology side, talking about TMS development and, and really cool tool tools to integrate in to maximize your brokerage's capabilities. So, but it goes way beyond that. So it's a really good, really good conference to have subject matter experts throughout the freight industry get together and collaborate and share like-minded, um, you know, ideas and you know just become better together. So and I will throw the agenda up too. Yeah, I just found it. We'll throw the agenda up in the show notes. So if anybody's just wants to take a look at it, you can click on it there and find some of that info. I dig it. So getting into uh, sports, we don't really have a whole lot this week. 
So got, got some industry news though, shipping wise. Um, yeah, what do we got? Our friends at FreightWaves have a lot of good articles, so always go to FreightWaves, check them out. But um, talk about the one that you you brought up earlier, the um, yeah, Hapag Lloyd big containers. Um, Big vessel owning common carrier, Hapag Lloyd, shelling out more than a half a billion dollars for containers, which is about 150,000 dry boxes and reefers ordered to remedy the shortage. Um, import surges at U.S. ports, labor shortages caused by COVID outbreaks, and severe port congestion. Everybody knows this, particularly on the West Coast, Long Beach, um, the LA ports, all have contributed to a slow turnaround for containers. That is the empties being returned back to Asia to be refilled. And a little interesting tidbit about this industry. I shipped a lot for Maersk and some of the other um, steamship lines. This is actually one of their biggest costs is returning containers and shipping air. Because when you think about it, there's this huge imbalance between what we bring from, you know, Asia into the U.S. versus what the U.S. ships to Asia. So they actually ship more empty containers than they do full a lot of periods of time. And returning them is a big cost, which is why there's a cost for you not returning your container by a certain date. They're losing money every day. These things aren't filled with product and on a boat. Yep. That is 100% true. And, you know, we don't all have to be economists to, um, you know, to do our job efficiently, but to understand what a trade deficit or surplus is, will help you, will give you some insight into why we're shipping air. <laughs> I guess you, it's funny how you said, you're just shipping an empty box back because yep. um, we import more than we export. So to, you know, in, in that, in that arena, at least. So good stuff. Other, other news in the marketplace. I think if you were to, I just wanted to take a look at where we are now versus one year ago. I think you could kind of take a, a breath of relief to see that, there is a lot more demand and shipping just overall throughout the the United States and North America compared to a year ago. So we've, everyone was always asking, when's it going to end? When's it going to be back to normal? Uh, there really is no normal, but you know, I think we've bounced back considerably in the last 12 months. Well, in it's most simplest sense, you know, Dean really did a great job at digging into this in the last episode is, um, you know, as a country, we stopped using a lot of food and stopped going to a lot of restaurants, stopped going to a lot of events. So that slowed down that area of freight, right? But at that same time, there was a massive spike in consumer spending for goods to be able to work from home, which actually exceeded the loss or came pretty close. And now that these food businesses are going to start picking back up as we reopen, the demand is just going to keep increasing. But keep in mind, the supply of trucks hasn't changed, at least not significantly with the shifts in the demand. Absolutely. For sure. Interesting stuff. I dig it. Yep. So that, that's it for the market update and um, the lack of sports update. Let's, uh, we're going to get into this episode all about motivation and willpower. But first, got to mention our friends over at DAT. They're, they're a great partnership that we've got with them. So make sure you take the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Loadboard Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus, you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make a clear and confident pricing decision. Freight 360 is partner with DAT, and we offer you your first month for free. Check out our episode notes. We've got links for DAT Power, Express, and Trucker's Edge. Again, that's in the episode notes. So if you're in iTunes, check them out. SoundCloud, they're in there. Wherever you listen to podcasts, there's always a little show notes section. So one free month. All right. Motivation and willpower, Ben. This is a big one. Now, let, let me ask you this first. Why this topic? Well, this is probably through all of the work that I've done coaching, if you drill down to the reasons people aren't typically where they want to be or where they're hoping they're going to be or where they're trying to get to, you always hear when I ask these conversations or even just talk to people candidly, you get the same response is, you know, I I just really wish I could get this done. I wish I could stay on task. I just don't have the motivation to stay on task though or to finish it, right? But the reality is, is, it's not motivation. That's really willpower or possibly self-control. And they're intertwined in a lot of ways. And I think even the definitions and the words people use to describe the problem 
problem aren't necessarily as what they're trying to say. So that's exactly where I'm going to start. I'm going to start with the definitions of these words, and then we're going to kind of take it from there. Yeah. So motivate, right? To provide someone with a motive for doing something, like a reason, right? To stimulate, also to stimulate someone's interest in or enthusiasm for doing something, right? Pretty straightforward. Motivation, noun, right? The reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way. The general desire or willingness of someone to do something. So that makes sense, right? When you hear people look inside to self-reflect on why they're not where they want to be, they think it's one of these two things. I just don't have the reason for acting or behaving in a particular way. Or I don't have the general desire or willingness to do something I think I want to do. Now, there are two very different contexts to that as well. You have your subconscious and you have your conscious mind, right? You have the things that you know you want to do. Like you look at pictures on Instagram or you drive past a house and you're like, I want that. And it temporarily makes you excited. But the reality is when you wake up 530 in the morning, that's usually not there, right? It's mostly because we look at these things like emotions, right? And we try to harness emotions. But the reality is, is emotions and feelings, right? They are by definition temporary. You cannot chase happiness. Happiness is the result of something and it doesn't last for anybody, no matter what it is. Buy something new, it will fade. Buy something more expensive, it fades. You bring up a good point. And and that is that, like you said, it's going to be, it's an ever, it's a, it's a moving target, right? Because what makes you happy at the end of the day is going to be caused by different things based on the time of day, what day it is, where you are in your life. And even for a broker, like, are you brand new? Are you trying to get your first account? Are you, have you been doing it for five, 10, 20 years? And now you're sick of just closing accounts and you just want to be able to run a business. There's all kinds of things. It's a moving target. It is. But the reality is, and I love the fact that you, you stated it that way, is that the feeling is not really the target. The target should be your goal or your vision for your life. And the emotion is a byproduct of making progress, little steps along the way to getting there. You don't actually shoot for happiness. You shoot for the life you want. And then as you make incremental progress throughout your life, you feel happy from that. And an interesting fact where that comes from, by the way, is think back all the way back to like pre-society, human beings, right? We've been around for thousands of years, right? Recorded history, roughly 10,000. Now think about this. Human beings though, have been on the planet for hundreds of thousands of years. The majority of the time we've been here, we were hunters and gatherers. But the reality is, is we were way more gatherers than we were hunters because you expend less energy and there's no risk that you're going to die by going to pick berries, nuts, and fruits, right? So we developed, which is built into our DNA, a reward system. When you make little progress, like picking berries and nuts, it hits you. You get a dopamine hit. The same way your phone gives you a dopamine hit when you have a notification. So we have this built into our DNA that as we make little progress, it makes us feel better because that's how we survived forever. Now, we have this misconception now that like we will reach this target of being happy and that we'll somehow remain happy indefinitely once we get there. That isn't true for any reason. It isn't true physiologically and it isn't even true like mentally. So I'm going to get into willpower a little bit or just the definitions. So willpower is control exerted to do something or to restrain impulses, right? Most of our bad habits are due to laziness or lack of willpower. And then we have self-control, the ability to control oneself in particular, one's emotions and desires or the expression of them in one's behavior. I see those two, these, those two right there, willpower and self-control to me, I have always, they always kind of blended together. And I like, whenever I would look at, say I'm training somebody new in the industry and they're motivated as hell, but they may, I would always say they don't have the, the, the discipline or, and I would have interchanged that with willpower, but tell me how those are different. Let's break that down. Sure. So willpower is the actual control exerted on something to either restrain or push, right? It is the control. That is your willpower. Self-control 
is your own ability to control yourself, in particular, your emotions or desires, right? And that's the big difference, right? And what I've found through my research and what I've learned through doing coaching and really digging in with people is that that's really where the answer lies is because it's not in motivation. It's not finding a daily motivation video on YouTube or finding a post that has a quote and expecting that to fuel you for the entire day. Because the reality is, is like it's I always used to joke. I'm like, it's kind of like motivational porn. Like it gives you this spike in happiness and then it disappears and it's useless. And people try to rely on these these peaks and valleys to stay motivated throughout the day. And the reality is, is you're trying to use a temporary thing to fuel you in a permanent way. And that doesn't work. And that's why motivation doesn't really get you where you want to go and is the wrong question to ask altogether. Well, I, I, I would I want to challenge you on this and I want your take on it. So and I'll give you a couple examples people that do start off their day that way. So when, you know, deployed in the army, one of the things that we would do before any kind of, whether it was a training exercise, an actual mission, whatever, we would have these little pump up sessions and that would involve a lot of music and everyone getting fired up and just, it gets your heart rate going and everyone's like, let's do it. Same thing with when I'm going to, when I used to drive to an office for work, I would listen to podcasts and all kinds of stuff or, whatever in the morning, just to get my mindset, right? Is there any benefit? I mean, where does that bleed in? Absolutely. And it's funny as, so one of the videos I put together for this speaks exactly to that. So there is a value to that. In fact, that's one of the things I recommend before you're going to start the activity, but think of it like this, that is the fuel that is going to spark the action and get you some momentum, but it's not going to carry you throughout your day. Okay. So, It's very valuable once you have a plan for yourself to get fired up, to get in the mindset, to start to take action, because that's the first thing that people have a hard time doing. And you and I have talked about this as it relates to the gym. If you have a hard time going to exercise, start planning two or three days a week where you just get there. You can turn around and drive home if you want, but just start to try to get in the habit. And that's the important part is the habit of acting. That motivation, those pump up sessions help you to take action that's their value and they should be utilized for exactly that. Yep. So I actually, it's funny. I heard a question. Um, I'm, I'm a person, I, I listen to like the, the Dave Ramsey show a lot and he had Christy Wright on there. It was like a week or so ago. And she's a big like entrepreneurial, you know, how to start and run a business type of um, personality in, in his group. And there was a, someone came on the show and asked like, Hey, I'm starting my own business. And I don't know how to, like, I, where do I start with sales? I don't know what to do. I'm afraid that someone's going to reject me. I'm, I, I have, you know, I don't even know what to say. Am I worth what I'm asking for my prices? And her response was great. It was like, the best thing you can do is just take action. Just take some action because the inaction is going to hurt you more than taking action that doesn't produce the right results. Because at least you're going to learn um, what doesn't work and you're, you're going to start getting the repetition of it. So that just taking some sort of action, I think is huge. It is. And it's, it's one of the most important aspects of this, right? And that's really what we're going to be digging into is how you compartmentalize these different aspects and kind of how they all come together to give you the ability to sustain the work ethic and the willpower and the self-control to maintain consistent output throughout your career, right? That's really what we're talking about. It's titled motivation and willpower because those are the two biggest misconceptions. I would say one of the bigger misconceptions. And I wanna reference the book that most of this come from is actually the book called Willpower. And the guy who pioneered a lot of this research, the guy's name is Baumeister. They wrote this, been groundbreaking things. And that's what I'm gonna dig into now. So when you think of willpower, what do you think of, Nate? I mean, I... I- I'm going to go back to what I said before. And to me, that is like having the, the discipline to actually take action or like you said, to, to refrain from something. So like, for example, you know, I I used to, I was a smoker for like over 10 years and I quit, I quit more. I I quit so many times. I was so good at quitting, (laughs) very experienced Mm -hmm. at it. But finally the, I don't know, like I, the, the day that I finally quit, I felt like I just had the, I had it inside of me. I had the, the energy and the, the, the end focus in mind and the end goal in mind and um, had to continue to tell myself no. So, I mean, that's kind of what I see it as. 
Absolutely. And, and it's a really good point, right? What I'm going to dig into is where this actually came from. It's going to take a minute, but it's well worth it because I think understanding where these things originated is important. Willpower was something that was popular back in the 17th century, 18th century, and then kind of fell out of favor when Freud and everybody came through the 19th century and the Victorians. And then in the 20th century, all personal development was focused on confidence. So you had Tony Robbins with, you know, the um, giant, Awaken the Giant Within. You had um, I'm Okay, You're Okay. These books that pioneered the self-help industry in the 70s, 80s, 90s, up until today, right? And they focused on confidence. And that's important because our entire society shifted with that. Even if you look at how we raise our children, our children, we have now focused the you know, everybody gets a trophy, increasing confidence because there was a correlation they found in the 60s and 70s between confidence and success. But what we found was even though we have higher confidence in our children, they are not performing as well as other countries that have lower confidence like Korea, Japan. There isn't the direct correlation. So even though we've been and have been focusing on confidence and it's important, there really is no correlation between actual success and your confidence. Mm. Now, what I'm going to dig into is where this actually came from in the sighting of willpower. And the interesting thing is most of this stuff doesn't come from just somebody's really interesting idea. In psychology, these things come from being able to test these things, not necessarily being able to just think them up. And there was a guy, his name was Walter Mischel. He was theorizing with his colleagues about self-regulation. In fact, they didn't even discuss their results of this. It's called the marshmallow experiment in the terms of self-control or willpower until many years later. This experiment happened around the 60s. What they were doing was they were studying how a child learns to resist immediate gratification. And they found a creative new way to observe the process in four-year-old children. They would bring the children one at a time into a room, show them a marshmallow, and offer them a deal before leaving them alone in the room. The children could eat the marshmallow whenever they wanted to, but if they, if they held off until the experiment returned, they would get a second marshmallow right away. Now, others tried resisting but couldn't hold out, some managed to wait out the whole 15 minutes for the bigger reward. The ones who succeeded tended to do so by distracting themselves, which seemed like an interesting find in and of itself. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when, when I saw Marshmallow Experiment on our episode prep notes here, I was like, what is this? I've actually seen videos of that before. Yep. It's interesting. Now, Distraction. Now, That's a good thing. Now, much later, Michelle discovered something else just as a random stroke of luck. His own daughters happened to attend the same school when the, when the experiment took place. And long after they finished it, Michelle kept hearing from his daughters about, the, about her classmates. And he noticed that the children who failed to wait for the extra marshmallow seemed to get in more trouble than the others, both in and out of school. And to see if there was a pattern, they started tracking hundreds of the experiment's veterans. And this is what they found. They found that the ones that had shown the most willpower at age four went on to get better grades and better test scores. The children who managed to hold out the entire 15 minutes went on to score 210 points higher on their SATs than the ones who caved in the first 30 seconds. The children with willpower grew up to become more popular with their peers and their teachers they earned higher salaries. They even had lower body mass index, suggesting that they were less prone to gaining weight throughout life. So let me ask you this. So if we were, let's, let's take a look at this when it comes to the brokerage industry. Okay. So you're on a sales team and obviously there's turnover in sales. You're going to have your high producers. You're going to have your moderate producers and you're going to have those who fail at producing or they're not producing enough. And is there a, obviously there's going to, a part of that's going to be willpower. Are they making enough calls? Are they doing the right things? Are they learning from others? But let me ask you this. If you're a sales manager, or maybe you're on that team, or you're one of those, those folks that lacks the willpower, what can you do to strengthen that muscle? So I'm going to jump into those in a minute. And what I wanted to clarify, right, is though the fact is, and this is what's really astounding about this, is that in no other research have they found a statistical correlation between early childhood and success in adulthood. Literally nothing. 
the only thing that has shown any correlation is raw intelligence. And nobody has found any way to increase that, you know, in a permanent basis, right? So this has literally been the first time that they've found something that is directly correlated with success, fulfillment, and everything else we define that as what we're shooting for in our life has been tracked to this as a cause, a causal and, you know, result. So, so low producing freight brokers, you got to blame your parents is what we're, is what we're trying to tell you here. Well, the thing, right? <laughs> it's not necessarily all inherited, right? And the same thing. So in the workplace, managers scoring in high self-control were rated more favorably by their subordinates as well as their peers. People with good self-control seemed exceptionally good at forming and maintaining secure, satisfying attachments to other people. They were shown to be better at empathizing with others and considering things from other people's points of view. Now think about needs for a salesperson, right? They're also more stable emotionally, less prone to anxiety, depression, paranoia, obsessive compulsive eating disorders, and just about every other malady. They get less angry less often. And when they did get angry, they were less aggressive, either verbally or physically. Literally everything I've ever seen in a freight brokerage office, right? People screaming, flipping out. I've absolutely done these things myself, right? I am not <laughs> immune to any of these things, right? But what came from this was this really big insight, this discovery that like there are ways to control this. And that's what I'm going to get into now is that what they found throughout this research is it is not something that we either have or don't have. Willpower is something that runs like a tank of gas. We get refilled when we go to sleep. So rest is a big piece of it. And it's also directly correlated with your blood glucose, your blood sugar, whether or not you ate well. So as the day goes, your willpower diminishes. That's why you should feel like you have more of it in the morning. You can stay more focused. But as the day progresses and you deal with fires, fallouts, trucks not picking up, not able to get a hold of a carrier, shipper issue, all of the things we deal with in our job, we deplete that tank a little by little all day long. And I get that. Reality. I get, so, I mean, I totally understand the, the more, I guess you can call them stressors, right? The more stress you're dealing with throughout your day, it's going to deplete that. Where does the, so what's the blood sugar one? If your blood sugar is high, what does that your, mean? Your willpower is a function of your blood sugar. So for instance, right, as your blood sugar gets used, your willpower gets depleted. Every Ooh, that's time, not good for all those keto folks out there. And every time, well, I mean, <laughs> well outside of my realm, but as it relates to just people that aren't on diets, as yeah. you make decisions. Now, here's some interesting things. If you make a decision or even if you just resist the decision, like I ask you to go out to lunch and you don't want to go and you don't feel like you want to tell me that because it makes you feel awkward for whatever reason, that's depleted your willpower. Every little decision you make throughout the day depletes that a little bit. The more the stressful the situation is, the more you have to resist it, the more you're depleting your willpower, right? So, uh, so let me ask you this, to refill the tank, are we talking like um, find ways to reward yourself or like find positives, hunt the so good stuff? I'm gonna, I'll give you the overview of the different lessons and then we'll dig into each of them. So the first one is knowing your limits, which is understanding how this actually works within yourself, okay? The second one is watching for symptoms because there really isn't an obvious feeling of depleted willpower, but- But there's obviously warning signs along the way, right? There is. For instance, like if you ever just sat there in front of your computer and you just feel like your mind's blank? Yep. Just can't think? That's exactly what it feels like with depleted willpower. The first thing you should do, and some of the techniques are to eat. So in the laboratories, what they used is they used Red Bull and energy drinks because it's immediate sugar spike. It will immediately bring you back to clarity. The problem is with sugar, as it spikes, it crashes again. So you can, if you need to use, use an energy drink, but what they recommend is keeping like mixed nuts or some protein bars around and to eat them periodically throughout the day. And that way you reduce the ability to need to spike it and crash it. You know, what's interesting. So I'm going to replace the eating part. Uh, I'm going to substitute it with um, exercise. So here's something that I personally did. Uh, so when I worked in an office for a brokerage, my morning, like many other people's was dealt with putting out fires, dealing, getting caught up on emails, a lot of stressors one after another, and you just feel so overwhelmed. 
And I would always take my lunch as early as possible, usually like 11 o'clock. And I'd go to the gym and I'd work out for 45 minutes and I'd shower at the gym. They had like its own little private shower and everything and go back to work. And then by noon and beyond, I was a rock star the rest of the day. And it was awesome. I'd eat at my desk right after the gym. So I guess there was an eating element to it. And then I would be so productive all afternoon. And I even do the same thing now working from home. I try I work out. I usually go to the gym every single day and I try to to go as early as I can, not like in the morning, but I, I get all my, my big daunting tasks out of the way in the morning that have to get taken care of. And as soon as I get that little bit of lull and I'm like, Oh, that was so much go right to the gym, get my workout in. And I feel just so pumped up for the rest of the day. And it's amazing. And my afternoons are extremely productive. My brain is creative. I'm, I'm just, I'm in the right frame of mind. So I, and I think there's a Spot lot on. to be said about that. You're absolutely right. Because what you're doing is you're increasing your exercise. You're increasing your metabolism. Your body's burning blood sugar in the way it's supposed to, not in a spike crash kind of way. Makes total sense, right? And that's what I'd make all my cold calls back when in my cold calling days was in that, in that early to mid afternoon and after everything. And I was just, my mindset was right. It was, it was great. So, yeah. Yeah. And here's the question though, and and you brought this up a few times, right? Is if willpower is finite, right? We only have a certain amount that we're going to use any given day, right? But the temptations in today's world are endless. How do we ever win, right? Literally, your phone is filled with companies that are in your pocket that are trying to fight for your attention and they're making money off that. So they're incentivized to try to distract you all day long. We just don't necessarily you know, realize that in a lot of cases. So you've got a finite amount of willpower and you've got an endless amount of temptations literally in your pocket at any given time, right? So we've got distractions, temptations, and conveniences. They're not going away anytime soon and probably aren't ever going to. But as these get more sophisticated, so are the tools resisting them. And so are the benefits of all of the research that we're going to cover, right? The best way to reduce stress in your life is simple. It's to stop screwing up in the first place. And what that really means is. So sounds so easy. It is. But that means setting your life up with the structures and the processes and the habits. So you have a realistic chance to succeed in achieving your vision. Successful people, what they found, people with high willpower, they don't use their willpower as a last ditch defense to stop them from a disaster. Like they're not relying on their willpower when they're already exhausted and hoping it helps. That's what most people we see do is they go, I don't have the motivation. I don't have the willpower. I'm exhausted, right? Because they have no structure in place to determine their ability or how they're actually depleting them. And that's what all the research found. They found that the people with the highest willpower weren't the people that inherited it or were the ones that were born with it. They tended to be the ones that had structure and habits in their life that eliminated the need to use willpower throughout the day. So think about it like this. For instance, you just talked about your habit of going to the gym. That's why it's important to have a morning routine because routine is a permanent habit. And once you have that habit in place, then you don't need to use your willpower. If you it feels wake up weird if morning, you don't do it. That's when it's right. like, it exactly. takes willpower to not do your routine. You wake up, you get out of bed, you shower, you have breakfast, you walk your dog, you hit the gym, you come back, you read the news, have your coffee, you start your work. It starts happening without the need to use your self-control or deplete your willpower because it's just part of something you do now. And yep. that's what the research found. So I think that brings up a good point for, I want to relate this to, the, the sales process for a newer broker, right? So you're going to spend a lot of time having to set hours aside for cold call after cold call after cold call. If you know, when we talked about blocking out time on your schedule to do this, if you know when it's going to be, yeah, you're going to have to get over that first hump of getting into the routine of it. But once you start doing it, it'll feel weird when you stop doing it or if you miss it for a day or if you miss an hour of it one day. Yep. And I think it, it just becomes so natural. And like we said, you'll find your voice when you have repetition, you're doing it. There's a lot of benefit there. Exactly. And that's what they found is that the way to deal with this and the way to get proactive is to literally be proactive. It's to get on the offense. So no matter what you want to achieve, playing offense begins by recognizing two basic things. Your supply of willpower is limited and you use the same resource for many different things. 
each day might start out with your stock of willpower fresh and renewed, well, at least you've had a good night's sleep and a healthy breakfast. But then all day long, things chip and nibble away at it. The complexity of modern life makes it difficult to keep in mind that all of these seemingly unrelated chores and demands draw on that same account of willpower, right? Now, consider some of the things that just happen in a typical day for everybody. And then we'll talk about what then also drains this for a freight broker. So for just the average person, right? You pull yourself out of bed, even though your body wants to sleep a few more hours. You put up with traffic. You hold your tongue when maybe your spouse or your partner angers you. You try to maintain interested, alert, even though your colleague is droning on about a during, a, during a meeting, right? You postpone going to the bathroom. You make yourself take the first steps on a difficult project. You want to eat all the French fries on your plate, but you're on a diet. You push yourself to go jogging. And while you're jogging, you make yourself actually complete that workout. The willpower you expended on each of these unrelated events depletes how much you have left for others. And this depletion isn't intuitively obvious, right? Like we don't notice it. And especially when it comes to appreciating the impact of making decisions, virtually no one has a gut level sense of how much tiring it is to make decisions. So choosing what to have for dinner, where to go on vacation, you know, whom to hire, how much to spend, these all take willpower. Even hypothetical decisions deplete energy. So after making tough decisions, remember that your self-control is going to be weakened. So what are all the things that happen to just a freight broker or a manager of, you know, a freight brokerage? Of- Ooh, there's a, I mean, I'll, I'll throw a couple at you. Um, should I quote this a little bit lower margin so I can try to win it? Because I'm not really sure what the competition's quoting it at. I had a guy the other day like, hey, Nate, should I use this carrier I've never used them before and I can make $300 more if I use them, but I've got the other guy for $300 more that I've used like seven or eight times. It's going to be a way safer bet. What do you think? You know? So absolutely. Oh, this is another one, right? The guy is, and it's stressful, stressful stuff. So stressful. And that's why, so I've had people reach out to us after listening to our shows asking why we suggest batching prospects versus dialing projects, prospects, two different activities. Because guess what happens when you don't have them researched? Every time you make a phone call, drain your willpower. Every time you got rejected, little more. Every time you get caught by a gatekeeper, little more. And then on top of that, instead of you just picking up the phone and keeping your momentum, like we talked about earlier, you then jump back to Google and start researching. Willpower, burn, 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 burn. And then jump back to prospecting. It becomes exhausting. That's why people avoid it. But if you can get the structure and the habit in place of doing your research at a separate time, and just like you said, get motivated, get fired up, look at your goals, look at what your vision is, look at why you're at work today, and then start searching for leads. That's literally what I would do because it was exciting. I could see the money and the opportunity in the activity. And when you can tie that emotion, like you said earlier, happiness, fulfillment, what I'm chasing to the job of researching prospects it becomes like I'm literally searching for money. It's exciting, right? Yeah. Not draining. Now, that's good stuff. And when you remember that, right, what matters is the exertion, not the outcome. So, like in your example, it doesn't matter that he makes the right decision or the poor decision. What matters is that he's exerting all of this willpower by not being able to make a decision and asking all these things. So, if you struggle with temptation and then you give in, you still depleted it because you struggled. Giving in doesn't replenish the willpower that you've already expended. And it also doesn't, all it does is save you from expending anymore. You know what? So this, it made me think of something. One of the, and I'm a very, very organized person. So it, it's taken me a, a long time to, to try and level with a lot of folks that are disorganized, but I get frustrated sometimes when I, I talk to a lot of folks and they're like, I, I look at their work ethic, what they're doing and their results. And I'm like, if you were just a little more organized, you would accomplish five to 10 times as much with the amount of energy you're exerting in your day. Like they just can't make a decision. It's it's the inaction that is just eating them and and tearing up their time. There's a few things. Inaction and organized are two very different things. And there's a lot of research that shows that people that are more organized or keep a clean desk and have the structures in place of where things are going before they're received, right? So they have folders in their inbox for their emails. They're not having everything go into one inbox. They just have a system in place, right? That will eventually become a habit. 
those people burn way less willpower. So they have more already in their tank because the unorganized person spends 10, 15 minutes trying to find the same thing they put on their desk yesterday because they don't know where it is. Look at all that frustration and all that energy they burn from not being organized. It's yeah. because they don't have the habits in place that eliminate the need for willpower. Yep. It's funny. So like I've, uh, when I was very new in brokerage, this is going back 2014, and I shadowed some of the guys at the office and I would just observe how they operated in their day. And like when someone was going to make a call, they're like, Hey, we're going to, I'm going to show you how to, how to reach out and do a cold call here. And here's my information. And like one of the guys, he spent like 15 minutes just trying to pull up his notes and like a, just information on the prospect and this and that. And he like was fumbling through like old emails, like people that leave 5,000 emails in their inbox and don't start them in the folders and leave them unread. It, it stresses me out. I mean, teach their own, but yeah. And then I sit with somebody else who had a folder for everything. He had proper notes in his CRM and it was like, cool. We, instead of spending 15 minutes trying to figure out the information, we would do the call, we'd hang up and then we'd debrief and talk about how it went for like 10, 15 minutes afterward. And I'm like, that's way more valuable than me learning how disorganized the other guy is. So that's and my rant. Absolutely. Right. But this is why I think this is so important, right? And this is really going to be the core of our coaching program because all of the other things originate right here, right? The systems in place, like you said, for prospecting, the systems that you put in place for lead researching, the systems that you put in place for your invoicing, how you're you know, prospecting with a purpose, that's where this comes from. When you have that purpose in that vision, then you know at least where you're going in a vague sense. Like, yes, life's not going to turn out the way you expect. And yes, you're not going to know how many people are going to answer the phone or how many will turn into customers over the next 60 days. But you can put the structures in place to try to eliminate the need to make tiny little decisions that deplete your willpower all day long. And I think you know, when it comes to some of the folks that run a brokerage and they've got employees that are assisting with their back office, I think there's a, a, it's, you need to focus on eliminating things within your organization that deplete each other's willpower. So like, for example, if you have someone that's in sales and they're constantly battling with someone that's in credit because one's trying to get a customer approved and the other one's trying to quote unquote, protect the company's exposure and try to say no, then they're both depleting their own willpower and they're battling back and forth, one trying to get credit, one trying to limit credit. And at the end of the day, it's, it's just wasting everybody's time. So if you can, if you can try to identify where you're, you know, where those deficiencies are within your company. And I think having a third party to look at that, I think that's where the coaching piece is going to be very, very beneficial to a lot of these folks. It's just going to pay dividends down the road. Absolutely. And every company has something like that too. Usually it's sales versus someone in operations or something in operations. I think you bring up a really good point, Nate. It's the friction that also happens within teams, right? Internally, right? So in your example, you know, sales versus credit or even sometimes, and it depends on how your brokerage is set up, but it could be between, you know, your salespeople, right? The people dealing with the, the customers and the shippers and the people covering the loads. Yeah. I see a ton of this, right? Oh, Yeah. And people think there isn't, I don't want to say people think there isn't, but like there's this assumption that there's no value for just creating like friendships and rapport with internal employees because you all have to work with each other anyway, right? But the reality is, is anytime you can reduce that friction between two people internally and you have rapport and you like the people you work with, that's why it never feels like you're, you work a day in your life when you do what you enjoy or when you work with people you enjoy being around mm-hmm. because you're not depleting your willpower, tolerating the people you have to surround yourself with on a daily basis. That's true. It's funny how sometimes all it takes is one person to not be in an organization anymore for the entire dynamic to shift. Well, this so. is why so many companies say it's more important to get rid of bad apples than it is to hire good people because one one toxic employee can deplete the willpower of everybody around them in a room. But one good employee is not going to increase the willpower of anybody. They'll increase some of the motivation and some of the confidence, but they're not going to do nearly the amount of benefit that a bad apple will do as a detriment. And the longer you leave a bad apple to rot or a toxic person to spread like cancer, the worse and worse it's going to be. Like we always say, bad news gets worse with time and 
toxic people get worse and your organization gets worse with time. Yep. So and that's what we're going to, we're going to kind of wrap up with, you know, part one is what it means to watch for symptoms. So like we said, you know, there's obviously no feeling of depleted willpower. So you need to watch yourself for subtle, easily misinterpreted signs. So do things tend to bother you more than you think they should? Has the volume somehow been turned up on your life so that things are felt more strongly than usual? Okay. Is it suddenly hard to make up your mind about even a simple thing, just making a decision? Are you more than usually reluctant to make your mind up about even simple things? You find yourself, it's just hard to make any decision, like whether or not you want to get up and grab something to eat, get a coffee or do the next task, right? Are you more than usually reluctant to make a decision or exert yourself mentally or physically for anything? If you notice these feelings, then you should pause and reflect on the last few hours of your day, right? And think, hey, were there big things that actually depleted your willpower? Oh, I had a blow up with a carrier. The guy said he was there and I found out from the shipper he wasn't even within three hours. The guy arrived three hours later, right? Yep, probably depleted your willpower, right? <laughs> They're always 30 minutes out, right? Yeah, always 30 minutes out. <laughs> so, and that's where some of these strategies will come into play, right? Because if you start being aware of the fact that you're down with willpower, there are some things that you can do, like look at the rest of your plan for the day. If you've got big decisions or a lot of creative work, maybe you move that to the next day. And then maybe you take a break for five, 10 minutes, go eat some nuts, grab a protein bar, walk around the building, come back in. And now you can do some things that require some less decision-making. So there are strategies that allow you to be agile as your day is going. So back to, you know, watching for symptoms while your willpower is depleted, right? Your frustrations will bother you way more than usual. You'll be more prone to say something you'd regret your impulses to eat, drink, or spend money on other things like online shopping during the day are uh, going to be harder to resist. Amazon, right? The best way to reduce stress in your life, like I said earlier, is to stop screwing up. <laughs> but you know, because when you're depleted, you're liable to make mistakes that will leave you with more bills to pay. Maybe it's literally because you're shopping on Amazon, but maybe it's because you did damage to a relationship with a carrier that now you've got to repair tomorrow and that's going to take energy too, right? Yep. That's what they mean by the best, the best plan is to not make the mistake in the first place because these things will have a cost that you will have to pay later on in the week or later on in your business that you didn't need to do in the first place, right? Yep. Do it right the first time. So let's, I would say, let's give a couple of action, actionable takeaways here before we hop into our, our Q and a here. So what do we got? And we're going to, obviously this, this discussion is going to continue in, you know, in the next episode, but uh, how can we, how can we actually apply this? So one of the things is, and this is exactly what we're going to be doing with this afternoon's TIA group is that you need to have a vision for any of this to work. You need to sit down at some point and spend an hour or two just with yourself and craft a vision for yourself. I suggest you do five or 10 years out and we can cover that in another episode too, but you really want to dig down and just think about what your life would look like if exactly what you wanted five or 10 years from now. And then I suggest you write out exactly what that day would look like a day in that life. Like what it would look like when you woke up, what your house looked like, where your bed looked like, who your family was, who the people are surrounded all the way throughout that day. So we're, we're high definition dreaming. I like it. Yep, absolutely. With taking the governors and the blinders off, right? None of the misconceptions, none of the things, and you don't need to worry about whether or not it's realistic. Dream big without the governors on and then put it down in paper. You need to write that down for yourself because that's the target. We need a target in our lives. So that's step one. Step two, and some of the things you want to take from, from there is the realization, right? And that's what we talked about in the first lesson are the two things. One, your willpower is finite. You will have less of it as the day progresses. You'll have less of it as you deplete it. And you should be utilizing that the same way you would use the gas on a, your tank of gas in a car, right? You wouldn't plan a road trip without filling your tank up, right? It's the same thing. You only have a certain amount of battery life in your phone. You only have a certain amount of, it, there's a finite amount of this resource in you as a person, which is your first thing. 
then from there, needing to understand how these things interact with you, right? Watching for symptoms, really thinking about what is happening, the decisions you're making along the day and starting to watch out for these symptoms, the feelings of depleted willpower. Do you find yourself at two or three in the afternoon every day having a hard time to think? Is that maybe at 11 in the morning? Are you getting enough rest, right? Are you organized? These are some things and that's why one of my biggest focuses on coaching is on rest first. If you aren't getting the proper amount of sleep, you've already started behind the eight ball every single day. And when I really dig in with my one-on-one clients and I really ask them why they don't get to bed when they want to, do you know what the number one thing is when I ask them what they did with that time? Watching TV. I don't, I don't know. even remember to be honest, but that's <laughs> when I dig far enough in, that's where it is. And after like, you know, 15 minutes of asking questions, we start thinking like, well, what did you do? When did you want to go to bed? Well, I always start with how many hours you need to sleep. And they're usually like, well, you know, I need between seven and eight. That's what, or I'll ask, how many hours would you sleep if you didn't have an alarm clock? So like on a Saturday or Sunday, when, how many hours would you actually rest? That's what your body needs. And if that's eight, it's eight. If it's seven, it's seven. But when you would naturally wake up is your number. And then you back into it. When do you start your day at work? Nine. When's your commute? Eight. When do you need to get ready? Six. So if you're waking up at 5.30, six o'clock, eight hours before that, you should have gone to bed a half an hour before that. And if you look at this time, almost none of us are spending it productively. We're literally just trying to, have you even heard people say this? I'm just trying to recharge watching TV. And then I go, hey, hey trying to know? recharge the batteries. Yeah. yeah. But then I always ask, what did you watch last night? And they go, you know what? I don't really remember. And I go, what did you watch the day before? And I don't remember that either. I'm like, okay, so like this activity is giving you really no benefit in your life. It's preventing you from the big thing you need to refill your tank because you're basically just filling your tank up halfway every day before you start your day. Could you give that up to be more productive, more happy, and more fulfilled during the day? And the answer is yes. It's just a matter of willingness to do these things. That's your first thing. That's huge. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. And then watching for the symptoms. We're going to get into a lot more of this stuff in, uh, in a later episode. There's, there's a lot of benefit here. And I think it's, uh, I like, I like listening to the, to Dr. Ben. <laughs> so I'm going to call you today, Dr. Ben. Um, well, we got some Q and a questions. I, I wanted to give a shout out to our friends over at lean solutions group first. I mean, obviously we've had Trey on in the past. He's a, uh, you know, he runs a sales group over there. So lean, they've got four, really, really good divisions over there. They got lean sales, lean marketing, lean staffing, and lean tech. So whether you need a new website, you're trying to put bodies in seats to help grow your brokerage, um, but, you know, whether it's a, a, a marketing campaign to try to help brand your company better, they can do it all for you. They got a lot of really good folks that they're making our new website for us. And, you know, we're, we're good long-term partners with them. We're going to be hopefully seeing Trey uh, in a few weeks on down there. So Playing Check them out. Fun. Link in the show notes. It's leangroup.com. Yeah, All right. To that. I'm going to let you take the first question here, Ben. So first question, and this is actually um, from one of our listeners on LinkedIn. Brian Ritchie posted this out there. He had a poll. I really thought it was a great question. What are the best, most successful ways you connect with potential customers in addition to LinkedIn? And then the multiple choice was email cold calling or in-person networking? What would you say your, what's your, what's your thought on this, Nate? Right now it's going to be emailing. That's, I mean, that, that is currently right now for me, Bob, you know what though? Cause I think back to when I did a lot of cold calling, my cold calling was usually preempted with an email that let them know that I was going to reach out to them because I had found their information and thought it might be a good idea for us to chat um, so I think, I don't know right now though, it's email for me, but it used to be email leading into a cold call in-person networking. I mean, it is super valuable, but it's just, it's not an efficiency type of thing. What do you think? That's kind of what I had said. My, mine was, you know, in-person networking, I would say is the most effective. The problem is the people you're trying to reach as a freight broker don't typically get value out of networking. So they're not usually there like shipping coordinators, load planners, um, even people higher up, you know, in the hierarchy of a company, like transportation directors, like at large companies, like they don't typically network because they're not in a customer facing role. Yeah. So from the freight brokers point of view, 
it's kind of hard to meet a large group of, you know, potential prospects at any networking event, but, you know, in person is definitely better. Cold calling is mine, but that's the caveat I actually said in there as well is I use email to try to get people on the phone because I am never going to try to close anybody in an email. I also, I also text like that's my big thing now is like, if I, if I come across a lead and I want to get a hold of them ASAP, I, I typically send an email, but I'm, I'm shooting a text out if I got their cell number, like, Hey, Nate over here at Pierce or wide logistics, you know, and reason being the percentage of text messages that are read versus emails that are read versus calls that are answered. Texting is way more, in my opinion, in my experience is way more effective. Absolutely. But they all, they're all used in conjunction. So what, what was the result of the poll when you saw it? Um, you know, it's funny. Let me pull that back up. Actually. It was, I bet they're going to say cold calling because I, I, I think because people think that's what they should answer. And I think when you answer a poll, a lot of times you answer not what you always truly so, believe. In, but actually, I, but that was the thing. Like, I think it was maybe misinterpreted. I don't know. Maybe not. It says email 16%, cold calling 25 in-person networking 56%. Wow. Um, just for me, I'm like, well, I don't. Okay. Well, it did say most successful. But that to it me did. means most effective, right? Like, where did you get the most amount of your customers from? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I love, I love using them all in conjunction. Like there's a, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. All right. I I email people to get them on the phone. I get them on the phone and out of those certain amount of people that I actually speak to on the phone, a smaller percentage become customers. And then a smaller percentage of my customers, I would go and meet in person. And that's really what I would do. Yep. I'm going to say my takeaway to everyone listening, start texting. I'm telling you. It is so, there's even ways there's like plugins. If you have HubSpot or really any CRM, or even if you don't have a CRM, there are texting tools out there that you can use where you can actually just type in your browser. Like it'll have almost like instead of you know thumbing it on your phone, you can just type into a web browser. It'll give you like a virtual number to text from for work. So, all right. Like for example, I I'm uh, my wife and I are looking for a house right now, and the one of the guys, one of the vendors involved in the buying process, like text me once a week. He's like, Hey man, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's effective. Cause if he was emailing me, I'd be deleting him. <laughs> I don't answer his calls. Cause I know what he's calling about, but I respond to his text. All right. Um, next question. Why is freight quiet right now when it should be busy given the time of year? And Ben, I asked you about this off air before. In my opinion, I was like, I think the guy's wrong. Uh, but I didn't have the stats to back it up. And you brought up a great point. I want you to elaborate on the misconception for some people why they think it's quiet right now when it's actually not. Well, here are the stats. DAT truckload volume index. Spot van reefer rates set records in March. Spot truckload van and refrigerated freight rates hit an all-time high in March. Um, demand for flatbed driven by strong construction and manufacturing activity, also soared into record territory. Absolutely, they have been up and they are continuing to stay up. Now, the question I always ask when somebody asks me a question is, what is their context and what are they seeing? Because they likely or may not have actual industry information like you and I have or the connections with DAT or spending the time to look at this. What they're likely doing is asking this question based on their emotions. I'm making a lot of phone calls. Nobody seems to want to give me their freight and nobody seems to want to onboard me as a broker. Why does it seem like there's no freight? Or why are the or people they don't answer the phone? Or they don't answer or they're telling me they don't need my help. To them, that is interpreted as, oh, there's not a real, there's not a boom. There's not a lot of freight. It's anecdotal, right? And it's based on that person's context. And the first thing I would ask that person is, and I literally had this question asked, asked by a client yesterday said the same thing. And I asked them and I said, so where is the friction or the bottleneck? Is it getting them on the phone? Is it getting them on the phone and getting them to onboard you? Is it talking to your customers and actually getting business from them? What specifically is making you ask this question? And 
the person I spoke to yesterday said, they're having a hard time getting shipping coordinators to answer their phone. And I said, well, that could be related to ineffective techniques trying to get them on the phone, not enough of them, or it could be that the person you're trying to reach is so underwater and so busy and is being called by so many brokers that just as you said earlier, they're just not answering the phone. And that doesn't mean the problems aren't there. That doesn't mean the opportunities aren't there. That just means you haven't gotten access to them. And those are two yep. very different situations. So to answer the question, the freight market's not quiet right now. <laughs> All right, last question. Uh, I'm a new agent. What tools, training, or sites are good for quoting rates? Um, I think there's two really good techniques when it comes to, to rating. And one's going to be using tools and technology. And the other one is going to be picking up the phone and actually talking to carriers. Um, so we're going to, I'm going to put to the side, the actual calling carriers and getting real rates. I'm going to put that one aside, but let's answer the tools one. Your TMS is going to give you really good data based on your actual company's history. Outside of that, take a look at something like a DAT's rate view or sonar from freight waves, right? There are, there's a ton of data out there, but I also encourage you understand what you're looking at, what it means and how you can use it. Cause a lot of people, they just look at it and they're like, I don't know what this is. No idea. What do I include the line haul plus the fuel? Is it just a line haul is it rate per mile? Is it, you know, if, at a, you know, a at mentor, a, a coach, somebody that has yeah. been through this to ask questions yep. too. I mean, as many of the resources that are out there, I thought same thing. You and I were talking about this when it came to video editing, right? Like I've learned everything by watching and watching videos. But the reality is, is if I can get one hour with somebody that's good at this, I can probably save myself a dozen hours of researching. Yep. And that's the value. So I got asked a question a lot of times. Someone was going through rate view and they're like, so how do I, like, I got a carrier I got a customer wanting to pay this. I got a carrier offering this. How do I know what the actual market average is right now? What I say is if you run, run a, uh, a market to market and you get that average rate, don't look at the, the all-in rate. Look at the rate per mile from that one area to the other. Take that per mile rate and apply that to your actual lane that you're working on. Because someone might, the you know maybe you run Chicago to Atlanta, but the actual pickup is south of Chicago and north of Atlanta. So your, your run is actually going to be a, a shorter run than that market average you're seeing on the line haul rate. So you look at your per mile rate, apply it to your actual distance on your lane. And that should give you a general ballpark if you look in the last you know, three days or seven days or whatever. Again, this stuff, the rate, that rate is just a tool to help you get Am I even close? Am I in the ballpark? Because at the end of the day, whatever a willing shipper, whatever a shipper is willing to pay to get their freight moved and whatever a carrier is willing to be paid to haul that, that is market rate. Hey, speaking of which, I just learned this a few weeks ago when we were on with our, our friends at DAT is the reason you never see the outliers in their rates or any rates, right? So, any rate at any given time is just what somebody's willing to pay and what somebody else is willing to do the work to do it for, right? Yeah. All of these are tools to give you insight into start negotiating, but the reality is, is it's only worth what somebody's willing to do it for. Yep. And I, I could never figure out when I was a broker why, you know, sometimes I would see a lane spike to like eight grand, right? We'll say Cali to New Jersey, something, right? But when you would look at DAT, you would never see a rate above like, you know, six or seven. And we finally got the answer is they actually eliminate the outliers at the top and the bottom to give you a better guide as to what it should be as an average. Yep. So don't be surprised though, when you're in a market like now and capacity is super tight and you may have to pay 20% over the rate that you even see in there. Yeah. Remember, as Nate pointed out, these are tools. These are not answers. These are not givens. These aren't written in stone. It gives you some information to then use to negotiate with. For all you folks that went to business school, don't forget that statistics class where you learned about standard deviations and that Me. bell curve and the outliers. So good stuff. Great episode, Ben. Looking forward to it. So preview of the next episode, we're going to pick this conversation on motivation and willpower back up. What are we going to be talking about next time? So we will be digging into the rest of the lesson. So give you a brief is um, 
cover a little bit on knowing your limits, watching symptoms again, and then we'll talking about picking your battles. We're going to talk about making a to-do list or at least a to-don't list. Be aware of the planning fallacy, which you alluded to earlier, the power of positive procrastination, the nothing alternative, keeping track, and rewards. Mm, I dig it. Looking forward to it. Well, good stuff. Good stuff. So again, Ben, you're going to have your TIA uh, session this afternoon. This is Wednesday when we record the 21st of April. So if you're listening on Friday, the 23rd, or anytime after that, if you're a TIA member, make sure you go in there into their LMS, I believe it is. And you should be able to see the, uh, the motivation lesson with Ben. So good stuff. Good episode. Any final thoughts here? Just wishing you can stay warm throughout the day. <laughs> I love believe, it, man. And whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And no one can see this right now, but I'm wearing my Bills hoodie. It says believe. Until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.